We're just going through um, Paul's prison epistles, and uh, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read the, the whole chapter. And just uh, have a few comments here as we, we go through the chapter. I, again, you know, when you start to look at God's Word, and um, well, it becomes your favorite passage. And so if you go to another section, you study that one, it becomes your favorite passage. So this is no exception, really, to be honest with you. You'll always um, learn something out of these things. And, and I think it's sometimes where the Lord takes something familiar and applies it to you or magnifies it in another way for you. And uh, it becomes new again, becomes fresh and um, instructive. And so we'll just read Philippians chapter 2. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient up to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me." But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all, 
and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent, the more eager, I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Your God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us a way to gather. Lord, whether it be in person here or on Zoom, we just pray that um, we would value this gathering, Lord. And as we see various uh, men and women of the faith, of like precious faith, we just thank you for every reminder we have of them. We pray that Lord, we would see uh, you working in our lives each and every day in our families, Lord, and um, that you would bring the Word of God tonight to our hearts and minds, Lord, and that we might uh, be able to work this out in our lives and let it be carried out to its full course, Lord. Um, you have um, begun a good work in us, and we thank you for that. We've been uh, impressed by the grace and mercy that you have to us, for us, and, and that you can um, consider us uh, your workmanship. And uh, we thank you so much for that, and we thank you for the, the faith that, that you demonstrate towards us, the perseverance that you have towards us. And Lord, we just um, would thank you for every uh, way that we can participate in your work um, on this earth. We, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we have um, the, the book of uh, Philippians again, and uh, one of Paul's uh, prison epistles, and he brings a, a report, uh, sorry, Epaphroditus brings a report back on how the Philippians are doing, basically to Paul, and um, uh, this chapter 2 is part of Paul's response to the disunity that is happening there, um, the selfish ambition that's happening there. There was evidences of that, and there was conceit as well. And if you go further in verse 14, it says uh, there was complaining, there was disputing. This was going on in the Philippian church, and um, Paul. this is Paul's response to this. Um, and uh, we'll just work through the chapter here. Part of Paul's response is to look at some of the things we enjoy as Christians. There's four things here that we enjoy as Christians in uh, the first a uh, couple of verses, or actually the first verse, it says here that if there is any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. And basically, instead of um, looking at these words as if there's any, we can replace it with the word since. So since there is consolation in Christ, since there is a comfort of love, um, since there is a fellowship of the Spirit, since there's affection and mercy, um, we, can, we can behave um, in like-mindedness towards each other. And um, I just thought about these things as we enjoy as Christians, and are these evidence in our lives? And we can all answer that question ourselves. But um, if you've been walking with the Lord for, I don't know, maybe a day or two, or maybe several years, are some of these things ingredients in your life that will help you maybe sustain those things that may cause disunity or, or prevent those things that may cause disunity, prevent those things that we would, would make you like a, a selfish, ambitious person. Uh, 
and um, or or someone who is sowing discord in the in the church. And I think that the better health we have of our own individual spiritual lives, the better perhaps we will be at 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 sort of having the mind of Christ. As we're going to see, the biggest example of of this of this mind of lowliness of mind towards each other is found in the example of Christ. And um, it's interesting that you know in in my short. Uh, but maybe many years, I call it a short life because I don't know where it's gone sometimes, but as a, as a younger person and as, as, a, as a mid-teenager, maybe you know, in the 30s and 40s, as I hear this passage or as I read this passage, my mind focuses on verse 5 to 11. And I, and I want to basically uh, just plummet the depths. I mean, this is an amazing passage on exalting the Lord Jesus. We have a verse right up here behind us, Philippians 2, 11, and, and we see that uh, as central to this chapter, and it is. But would we be missing something if we don't apply it and make the connection to what Paul is trying to say here? Is that the supreme example of humility of mind and humility of spirit is found in Christ and should be tra- uh, transferred then towards from me to you and from you to me in the assemblies uh, that we gather in? And so if I fail to see the connection, well, maybe I fail to see what Paul is trying to tell me. And so we, we have that amazing example in, in 5 to 11. We're going to go through it a little bit here. But before Paul gets into this, he talks about those Christian experiences that we have. As Christians, we have the consolation that's in Christ. If Since we have this, or in view of the fact that we have consolation in Christ, that means the refreshment that we have in Christ you enjoy Christ as a believer today, you're going to enjoy His consolation, His comfort, His encouragement, His refreshment. That's what it means, a calling near. And do you experience that nearness of Christ, the consolation in Christ? If there's a comfort of love, and this is God's love, this is a greater degree of tenderness than the word consolation. It's the tender persuasion of God's love for them. And in our experience as Christians, whatever that may entail, if the, I mean, is there a communication, is there a feeling that we have a, a tender persuasion of God's love? As God ministers to our souls, as, as, he, as, he, as he just walks with us every day, as our hearts softened by his tender persuasion of his love. If it is, that may help us to be better suited to fulfills Paul's, Paul's joy here, that nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. We have the fellowship of the Spirit. That's another thing as well that's mentioned here. This is a partnership. Fellowship means partnership, a joint participation, a common interest, a mutual and active participation in the things of God. And um, I sometimes wonder where this is in, in my life. It, the first thing we have is the consolation in Christ. We have the comfort of God's love. And now we have the third, is it the third part of the Trinity here, the fellowship of the Spirit? All three are at work here to bring the believer into the reality of who God is. And sometimes the fellowship of the Spirit, I can speak to myself, perhaps is non-existent. I don't know. I'm just not cognizant of it sometimes, that that really the, the fellowship of the Spirit is that that he wants to participate with me 
in bringing me into the reality of the things of God through His Word. And I sometimes wonder how much control He has over my life. How much do I see Him as a co-participant, or am I trying to live the life of Christ by myself? Am I trying to, to deal with the people around me who are Christians? Am I, am I, am I trying to, to work out my salvation on my own? I uh, would advise, I'm sorry, I would suggest rather that you go over maybe John Unsworth's message on Sunday about the, the oxen. I really enjoyed that um, analogy that he used and, and how he looked at the oxen and their if you have two oxen working together, they got to be the same. They got to pull the same, and they got to be skilled the same, and and uh, they they they're co-participants in the work. You can't have a young one and an old one. You have to have them the same, and and to do a, a common task. And that's really what the Holy Spirit is for us: co-participants in the work, bringing us into the reality of things of Christ. And Paul is trying to, if if since you have this, in view of the fact that you have this. Be like-minded, and he fulfill his joy as you deal with one another. Because there was too much of the selfish ambition, the conceit, the complaining, the disputing. Then also, if any, affection and mercies. Affection is just the bowels, and, and Hebrews would understand this as, as the, the seed of tender affections of kindness and compassion. That's what that word is, the affection that they would enjoy the mercies that they would be able to show, show mercy to each other. If you've enjoyed the mercies of God, and, um, you know, spread this to each other. Have pity on, on others. And so on, in verse 3 here, it says, Let nothing then be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And so, and then, sorry, in verse 4, ladies, if you look, now, look out, not on, only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so I see two words here that are common in these two verses. I'm, I'm reading from the New King James. Verse 3, the word others. Verse 4, the word others. And so it's really about others, isn't it? And when Christ sets up himself as a supreme, or when Paul sets up Christ as a supreme example of, of, of this, he definitely Christ came for others right? It was others that he came for. <clears throat> and so we need to make the connection, don't we? Um, in this next chapter, the next part of the chapter, verse 5 and 11, we see the example of the humility of Christ. And like I said, this is one of the greatest passages of the Bible regarding the character of Christ. Uh, it's used to emphasize the importance of the humble attitude that we have, but we must see the connection that we have. It's, it's it's to get lost in it, yes, in the magnificence of the person of Christ and, and what is said about him and what he did, his character. But unless we connect it to ourselves and how we function in the local church, maybe we've lost the point that Paul is trying to make. And, and so many, um, I've put the majority of my sort of interest level on this section and maybe not look at it in its context as much as I should have. We see in verse 6 here that, that Christ was in the form of God. really means form is not a reference to a shape or any, of any physical object. It was a Greek philosophical term meaning the expression of a being. This was his outward expression which a person gives of his inmost nature. The expression comes from within. 
So it wasn't that he was just a likeliness of God. He was God himself. He was the expression of what was inmost, of his inmost nature, which was God within. Let me look at verse 6 as well. Did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Robbery means basically a treasure. So he didn't feel that this expression of his deity was a treasure to be clutched and retained at all costs. He was willing to waive his rights to the expression of deity if the need arose. And so we hear, see here the beginnings of humility, the humility of Christ, that, you know, he had authority in all things, as God definitely he did. But um, he only used that in very specific times. I mean, he could have just railroaded everything of humanity if he kind of just exhibited you know, himself as the, as the powerful God all the time. But he wasn't. He was compassionate in, in times where he could have used it. He didn't. And so he thought it not robbery to be, to be clutching after this, this um, expression of his deity, to be retained at all costs. He was willing to waive his rights to the expression of this deity if the need arose. And this is definitely the essence of humility, isn't it? Um, you know, as, as a father sometimes, sometimes you could exert your right as a father and authority over your kids, but sometimes you know it's good to just hold back and allow them to figure it out a little bit. So there's this wisdom that's needed and this humility of, from a father that's needed sometimes in uh, dealing with the kids, right? That's a little example of this. And so Christ himself was this as he lived the life, uh, <clears throat> as he lived his life. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. So he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself of these rights that he, that he could have exerted, that he that he could have, but sometimes he didn't. Um, it's not emptied himself of his own deity. His deity never left. He could not do that, but he emptied himself of his rights to the expression, maybe, of this deity, even though his deity did not change himself. He took upon him something he never had before. He took upon him the the nature or the the bond servant, right? So he he he's got an expression of his deity. Um, was laid aside, and, and, and what does he do? He comes to this earth taking on a bondservant's form, a bondservant's role in the things of God. And in his expression to the things of God, basically he was humble, wasn't he? He took the, the, the form of a bondservant, something he had never done before, but in relation to his father, he would take the bondservant role and uh, be humble in, 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 in terms of his work before his God the Father. And then it says in, in verse, uh, so that's what he did as a son of God. He, he took himself, the, the bondservant role, as man in verse 8. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient up to the point of death. He was never, he never had to obey death, but he was obedient up to the point of death, at which time he willingly gave himself up and he died. And so as a man, we see him here as humbling himself up to death at one time. And then not only that he, he, he did this, but he humbled himself more to, to sort of um, orchestrate the way in which he would die. And it says even the death of the cross. And the death of the cross is, is reference to the character of the death that he would die. It was a shameful death. It was a humiliating death. 
It was a death just reserved for criminals um, and not to the citizens of the Roman Empire. So even in the way which he died, he was humble in the way that he died. And this was orchestrated by himself as well. Coming at the in due time, um, when this uh, form of punishment was brought into existence in the point of history. And so we see uh, tremendous steps of the, of the Son of God and even as the Son of Man as he, as he stooped downward at each phase here in his life. He set aside those things that were rightfully his. And um, we can maybe learn something here too as we deal with each other <clears throat> and as we... Um, just uh, progress ourselves in the things of the Lord in the local body. And I just love these verses too. I mean, I can't, I can't, I, I'll just read them and not make much comment, but verses 9, 10, and 11, I mean, I just love those verses, what God did to the lowliness of mind that his son demonstrated while on earth. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And so he highly exalted him. This means to exalt to the highest rank and power, to raise to supreme majesty a supereminent exaltation. And uh, he's given him, God the Father has given him the name, given him the name. He freely bestowed, he graciously bestowed. This is something that God the Father had given him, and it's a title, basically. The name is a title. It's a common, it was a very common, apparently, very common Hebrew title, denoting the office and the rank and the dignity that comes with this title. And so God is, is bestowing this upon his son, and it's at this name that every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. So the entire universe at some day will openly declare and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What a day that will be as, as the world will publicly declare this one who took that ultimate step of humility as he, as he, as he shared that example to us in, in so, such a vivid way as Paul outlines for us. But it, it comes back to us, doesn't it, in verse 12 and 13. Verse 12, we have... Um, our responsibility to this, to try to work this out in our lives. And number 13, we have the divine enablement to do this. We have both working together, that co-participation of it. And again, I, I refer back to that uh, nice example that John had given us on Sunday morning, if you want to go back to the uh, podcast, I guess it might be on there. But just at the tail end of that, he gives us a really nice um, um, uh, illustration of how God will work with us to work out our own salvation. And this is basically working out your own salvation, verse 12, is making it stick in your own lives. It's, it's not to work for your salvation, um, but it's to work out the salvation that's already inside you. Work out really means to carry out to the goal. To the, to, the, to the final goal, to its ultimate conclusion. Uh, another writer puts it this way, see to it that they make progress in their Christian lives. So the progress in your Christian life to, to, to have this lowliness of mind, to do things without murmuring, murmuring and complaining, um, to, to, to not have the selfish ambition, to look at others' interests other than yourselves. You are to work this out, progress in these areas of your Christian life by working it out 
in your life, to, to, to carrying it out to its, to its final end, to, to something that would please God for His good pleasure. Isn't it amazing to, to think that the God of the universe <clears throat> will have good pleasure in us as we work out our salvation uh, to the glory of Himself? Uh, in fear and trembling, I always would wonder what this means. What does it mean there to, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? I think we've done justice to work out your own salvation. It's not the salvation from sin here, but it's to work out the salvation just to, to, to have that life of yours as, as Christians, to carry out to its fullest end, to, to arrive at uh, the conquering some of these things that we have in our lives. I want to read a paragraph here. Time is almost gone. I want to read a paragraph here that um, I, I read regarding this fear and trembling. And this is what it means, maybe. And I, it, it, it might resonate with some of us here tonight. The fear and trembling is, is the fear of... The fear is self-distrust. So um, self-distrust, that's the fear. So it's basically not trusting in yourself, you know. Um, it is tenderness of conscience. It is vigilance, vigilance sorry, against temptation. It is the fear of pride. It is taking heed lest we fall. It is a constant apprehension of the, of the deceitfulness of our hearts and of the insidious nature and power of the in, inward corruption that we all still have. It is the cautious, it is the cautious and circumspective uh, look at things which, um, which uh, <clears throat> would, would cause us to uh, think about maybe offending and dishonoring God. So let me read that again. Fear is self-distrust. So in fear and trembling, as we work these things out, it's really to have no confidence in yourself, really. No trust in yourself. A tenderness of conscience. To be, to be, uh, to be um, sensitive towards how God is leading us and sensitive towards the things of the Spirit that will, will cause us to grow. That's, that's the fear and trembling. It's not a, it's not a slave terror that, that we're, we're looking at, living our Christian lives, and it's, that's not it. It's this sen, uh, sensitivity towards the things that may affect our conscience. It's vil, 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 vigilance sorry, against temptation. It's looking at temptation and what it might become and dealing with it. Um, is taking heed lest we fall, that prideful type of attitude that we can sometimes be uh, guilty of. Um, and then I said, you know, constant apprehension of the, of the deceitfulness of our hearts and the tendency for that insidious nature and power of that in inward corruption to, be, to, to raise its ugly head at times and to deal with that. And um, I, I thought that that helped me out a little bit just to kind of re realize maybe what Paul is getting at here with fear and trembling. Just to be sensitive to these things that usually will trip us up. The sin that does so easily beset us it can, can come in many forms. And to work these things out in fear and trembling, work out our salvation. So God works in verse 13. This is the divine enablement. Um, our job is in verse 12 is to, to work this out in that, in that sort of realm of fear and trembling, let's say, of being cognizant of these things that might trip us up. But as God, it's God in verse 13 who works in us, who provides the energy to do this. He provides the will, the desire. to. He puts that desire and will in you to do the will of God. 
or the good pleasure of God. Do you ever think sometimes that you just don't want to do the will of God? God here works in us, in verse 13, both to will, to, to, to want to do, to desire to do that will, and to, to do as well for His good pleasure. So He provides not only the will, but the power to do it. And the, to doing here in verse 13, the, the word here implies habitual nature. It's not a one-off. It's to form something in us that becomes habitual. And if God is part of that, and if we're giving it to Him, um, as, as He is that co-participant with us, then we become someone who is habitually living out God's will for our lives, and someone who is wanting to do that as well, wanting to bring pleasure to Him. And so we have the human responsibility in verse 12. We have verse 13, divine enablement. And so there's a balance there, isn't there? It's not a let go and let God do it. No. Um, the Holy Spirit is, is it's not just resting the Holy Spirit to take care of all that sin we have in our lives. No. We must, as a, as a saint, we must say no to these things and divert our attention like Philippians would say, think on these things, right? Think about something else. And... Um, think about things that are right. So we say, no, we put the brakes onto some things, and uh, the Holy Spirit then takes us and allows us to then be used that way. It's not just a rest, sit back, and let God do all the work. He will do the work, but we have to put ourselves in that frame of mind. Remember, we're co-participants. We're, we're wearing that yoke that Christ wears with us, and it's, it's, a, it's a relationship that we have with Christ to work these things out in our lives. But instead of not a let go and let God, it's, it's not a let go and let God situation. It's a take hold with God. Take Him with you in, in the effort of mutual cooperation with working these things out in your life. And that's really what Paul is trying to say here. Um, so, you know, we have the, the sort of the bringing up of the many things that we enjoy as Christians in the first few verses and the admonition to, to you know, Look not on your own things, but also in the things of others. We have the amazing example of Christ in terms of His humility, but then we have, you know, let's work this out in our lives, and this is how to do it. God wants to be co-participant with us in working these things out. And I know my time is gone, but we have Paul, we have Timothy, we have Epaphroditus here as examples of how to live in a humble way, maybe. And just very quickly, we have Paul in verse 17. He says this about his own life in relation to the Philippian service and sacrifice of their faith. He says that he's going to be a drink offering. So he is coming up to the point where he may pass away, he might die. And he's saying that his life is going to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And so what he sees here, if you look at numbers, it talks about this sacrifice um, in pagan in pagan tradition too, at this point in time, it used to be common for a drink to be poured out on the sacrifice, uh, in addition to the sacrifice, as maybe a minor role that it played. The sacrifice was the biggest role, uh, but the, the the drink offering was the, the more minor aspect of the role. So we see here Paul, as great as he is, taking the minor role in the whole play out of how the Philippians are doing. 
He sees himself just as that, you know, as he sacrificed himself already, he's, he's going to take himself, though, as a drink offering and just sacrifice, it, or sorry, put himself out on the sacrifice and service of the faith of the Philippians. And he takes the, the minor role here, humble, humble in his approach to how he sees the end of his life coming. Um, this is amazing. Timothy, in verse 22. So Timothy here, here's another uh, servant of the Lord. And, and one, one phrase that caught my eye in, in this verse here was, but you know his proven character, his proven character. The character doesn't, doesn't, just doesn't form without sort of like a crucible sometimes, or, you know, uh, to, to form it. Uh, sometimes there's some hard things to deal with. And so in relation to these things, uh, he mentions his, his relationship with Paul as a father-son relationship. They would have had um, times where they had to work things out to, to, to carry out to a common goal, but he was able to assume that role as a son to his father. The idea there is to get along, to set aside what you might think is right, maybe. And so his proven character was of that sort. And it says, for all seek their own, in verse 21, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Here was a man with his proven character willing to set aside what, what he thought is important, and, um, you know, he set aside his own things to, to take up the things of Christ. And so his proven character was such that it demonstrated humility. Epaphroditus in verse 26, it says here that Epaphroditus was longing for you all. And so he was sent. It wouldn't be no small thing for the Philippians to send Epaphroditus with a money gift to Paul to help him out. Um, and as a result of that, he almost died. And so it was no small thing to send him. And then when, when they heard that he was sick, they, they were, he was distressed. Paphroditus was, was distressed that the Philippians who sent him would be distressed. And so there was a mutual care for each other. Um, and he was longing for them all. He was, he was even though he was chosen to do this service, um, it says that he was providing that which was lacking in their service toward Paul. But that doesn't mean that um, the Philippians lacked in their service towards Paul. No, they lacked an opportunity to serve Paul in this regard. Epaphroditus stepped in to provide this for, for Paul, and he was sent on their behalf. So he was willing to step in there, and um, he was uh, willing to take that humble spot of going and not regarding his life. Um, but just kind of setting aside that. And I, I know that's a tall order. I mean, when we talk about things, I mean, uh, that's, a, that's a big example itself, Epaphroditus, in terms of his sacrificing himself to the, up to the point of death almost. And then God had mercy on him and, and brought him through. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I have to say that I've never come to that point where I've sacrificed my life up to the point of death for anybody else as Christians. But anyways, the example is there nonetheless. And uh, he was willing to set aside his own health even as a humble attitude, just like Christ did. Um, but uh, unlike Epaphroditus, God had mercy on Epaphroditus and brought him through. Um, but uh, Christ died, as it says in the Bible, for our sins, and he sacrificed his life for us. But uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to leave it at that at this time. Um, and so there's Philippians chapter 2. Thanks.